Pull out your Bibles and notes if you haven't already. Open up to Matthew chapter 5. A couple of things to loop back on last week, last week's message. I want to say, uh, women, you know, if you're here last week, it wasn't just for the men, even though I called the men out a lot. I hope you took a lot for it uh, for yourself um, because I just kind of got to call out the men sometimes to make them listen extra carefully. And you guys generally listen pretty well by yourself. Um, so... You know, that, 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 that part, part of what I was doing was, was uh, just trying to go directly at men. Um, but I wanted to do it in front of you as well so that they would know that they know that everybody knows what the standard is around here for, for, for other men, for women and children and for our world that we are living in. And uh, men, I want to loop back on something real quick. I heard, I heard from quite a few men this last week um, about, you know, all pumped up about the three S's. You know, it's so awesome. Made sure my wife heard that part, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just want to be clear, that part of the message wasn't even for you. If, if, if this week you thought more about the three S's and talked to your wife more about the three S's than you did about asking her how you could grow in your principles as a man of God, you missed the whole point. The whole point. If you spent more time this week talking to your wife about how she could give you the three S's than asking her humble questions about where you can grow, missed the whole point. So this week, if that was you, it wasn't all of you, but if that was you, I need you to give that woman some flowers. Sweet woman. I need you to tell her that you're sorry. You might need to tell me you're sorry for taking a challenge I gave you and making it about her. I don't need your wife mad at me for that. I'm just playing with you. But ask some humble questions this week about how you can grow. If you don't know where to start, you can ask us, you can start with something like this. Hey, hey, wifey, wife, whatever you call your wife. (laughs) Hey, hey, is there anything you've been praying God would help me grow in? It's a great question to start with. Great question to start with. Hey, wife, is there anything you've been praying that God would help me grow in? Can I get a wife to say amen? amen? All right. Christian Living, we're continuing our series. Uh, we are doing for a while. We've been in it for a little bit. We're going to be in it for a little while longer. Coming to the Sermon on the Mount, learning from Jesus. How do we reorient from a self-centered lifestyle into a kingdom-oriented lifestyle? Last week, we uh, wrapped up section two. So if you're new with us or if you're lost in the sections, we're breaking this up into sections that have multiple parts because it's just that long. So we got to do something. So we, we, we wrapped up section two last week. Section two was titled Loving God and Your Neighbor. We went through Jesus's six statements where he addresses the law or some of the norms of their culture that they had. And he tells them, um, and he, he demonstrates for them how the entire law and prophets, as he tells us elsewhere, can be summed up in the commandments, love God and love your neighbor. And they had missed the whole point along the way. The whole point that the law has been getting at this whole time is trying to teach us and call us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. This morning, we are starting section three. So if you're a note taker, which you ought to be, let's be honest, Christian living, section three. Section three is titled Good Religion, Good Religion. We're going to read Matthew 5, 48 this morning. So go ahead and stand up to your feet for the reading of the Word of God. Got one verse for you this morning. Matthew 5, 48. 
Jesus says, you, somebody say, that's me. You say, that's us. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Thank you, Lord. We are so thankful to be gathered in your house this morning. We are so thankful to worship you, to be gathered with your people. I pray right now that you would open up our hearts to receive your word. I pray that you would bring us humility, that we might receive grace in place of pride where we find ourselves opposed by you. We wanna come humble to your word this morning. Teach us, shape us, feed us, lead us. Reveal yourself to us in your beautiful grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and take a seat. Last week at the start of the, of the message, I had Steph come up here and she shared about how last week uh, before church, she was grabbing her notebook on the way to church and she kind of just like felt her heart wake up again, like, oh, I'm going to receive something from God. And we talked about how, you know, habits are important in our lives. It's one of the reasons I say every week, take out your notes. It's, it's part of this habit of like, oh, I'm about to hear from God and I'm, I'm trying to get into that mode. You know, we, we, we are creatures of habits. We, we talked about habits for like two seconds last week. So we're going to talk about them longer than that this week. Because habits are important because there's something behind the habit. It's not just the habit. It wasn't the notebook that was the point, right? But the habit of grabbing the notebook, there was, there was some sort of unseen substance behind the habit. Our habits that we have significantly impact the lives that we live. And if you look at my habits, you're going to see what I value. If I look at your habits, I'm going to see what you value. Because we build habits around the things that we value. We build habits around relationships that we value, practices that we value, places that we value. If there's something that we know we need to grow in or progress in, we, we build a habit around it. We, we build a habit around going to school to grow in our education because we value that. We have a habit of going to work so we can get paid and paid our bills, praise the Lord. We have a habit of eating so we can keep going, a habit of working out so we stay healthy. We have a, maybe you have a habit of date night in your marriage to keep it healthy. We build habits around our values, and we also have rituals around our values. We have habits and we have rituals. We could say it this way, that a habit is like a pattern of behavior around a value, it's the behavior of doing the work, of working out, the behavior of going to school. A habit is the, is the pattern of behavior around a value. A ritual is a pattern of procedure around a value. And you may think this sounds weird, but there's lots of rituals that you have in your life. Your, your rituals are, are the things that you do that make the thing you do what it is. What I'm trying to say is like, if you think about a holiday, it's not really 4th of July without burgers and hot dogs and fireworks, right? It's definitely not 4th of July without a day off. You see what I'm saying? We, we've, got, we've got procedures around these things because we, we value this. It's, it's hard to say you celebrated a holiday if you didn't do some sort of ritual around it. It's hard for it to be Christmas without gifts or a tree. It, it's kind of tough for it to be Thanksgiving without Thanksgiving meal. You don't have a birthday party without people coming over, cake, 
singing the song. There's rituals that make it what it is. You can't really have a wedding ceremony without vows and rings and witnesses and a couple. If you don't hit every part of your morning routine for your morning coffee, it's not morning coffee, right? It may be coffee you had that morning, but it's not your morning coffee. Today's not today unless you hit every element of that ritual, all the ingredients, the timing, the rhythms, the smells, the mug. We have rituals around these things, do we not? The word religion has gotten sort of a bad reputation, uh, especially, honestly, in sort of Western Protestant evangelical charismatic circles, which would be us, <laughs> especially in circles like us. This word religion has kind of gotten a bad, a bad reputation. Religion, it's become synonymous with, with bad words, like religion is dead. It's, it's inorganic. It's inauthentic. It's restrictive. Or maybe, maybe it's, it's oppressive. Religion is oppressive. But religion isn't good or bad in and of itself. Religion is just whatever your rituals and habits are around your spiritual beliefs and values. So religion isn't bad. Bad religion is bad. Habits aren't good or bad. Bad habits are bad. Good habits are good. And it's similar with religion. In section three, good religion, we're going to discuss how Jesus aims in this next part of the Sermon on the Mount to reorient us from a lifestyle of self-centered, bad religion to a lifestyle of kingdom-centered, good religion. So this morning, part one of section three, simply called Perfection. Perfection. Jesus bookends what we called section two with some big time statements and phrases. Like I said, in the section we just finished, we went through six statements that Jesus addresses about their law and before he gets into those six statements, he, he says this in Matthew 5, verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Then he marches through these six statements and leads us to our verse today in Matthew 5, 48. Like I said, it's kind of a bookend. So it starts with, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he ends with 548. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We covered a lot of this a handful of weeks ago in our message, Jesus, the Old Testament, and us. So I don't want to reteach that message. But these statements that Jesus says are perfectly in line with the core of the Old Testament in Leviticus 19.2, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount by calling us to live our lives leaning on the grace of God, growing in the grace of God. Then he goes through six areas of the law to demonstrate how badly we need 
to lean on the grace of God. He exposes them hardcore. You, you've been leaning on the law thinking you've been doing a good job, but let me show you the iceberg underneath the surface. Am I right? No matter our best efforts on the outside, we all have icebergs of unrighteousness in our hearts. We are desperate for the grace of God that is made manifest to us in Jesus Christ when he said, I came to fulfill the law. And now he closes by reminding us like what he said earlier in his message that he is not erasing anything, not an iota, not a dot. If we want to enter the kingdom of God, we have to be perfect as our heavenly father is perfect. And the law he just went through with us shows us that we don't have a chance of pulling that off. But Jesus fulfills the requirement of the law in us. Romans 8 verses 3 and 4 put it this way, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. I love these verses. <laughs> for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We must be holy. We must be perfect, which means we must grow in the grace of Jesus. We must lean on the grace of Jesus. Christian living is not a lifestyle void of religion. It's a lifestyle oriented around good religion. And good religion is growing in the grace of God. Good religion is growing in the grace of God. I want to compare and contrast good religion and bad religion in three ways this morning for us. First, good religion is rituals of receiving perfection. Bad religion is rituals of chasing perfection. Good religion is rituals of receiving perfection. Bad religion is rituals of chasing perfection. Self-centered religion is oriented around the things that you can do to chase God's perfection. Kingdom-centered religion is oriented around things you do to remember that God has given you his perfection through his son, Jesus Christ. We need good religion in our lives. We need Rituals of remembering, rituals of receiving this scandalous gift of the grace of God. This is why we celebrate baptism. This would be an example of a, of a, of a religious ritual that we have. Baptism is not something you do so that you can chase God's perfection. Prove to him that you're good now and he should give you some perfection. It is, it is an act of receiving perfection. The Bible tells us that in baptism, we don't actually accomplish anything 
But by the grace of God and the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, we are buried with him in baptism. You don't actually die, but you actually die. You get buried with Jesus in his death, and then you are raised to live his new life. And then Romans 6 tells us, now just consider yourself dead to sin. You don't get baptized and say, God, see, look, I'm trying real hard. Now that I'm out of the water, I'm going to keep chasing. I'm going to keep chasing and working hard and showing you that, no, I, I, I think I can be dead to sin. He's like, no, just consider it done. If you want to stop sinning, just remember you're dead to it. Communion, another ritual, religious ritual that we need in our lives. We did it this morning. We, we take communion for the reason that Jesus gave us to take communion. What did he say? Take communion and show God you're ready for church now. Show God you're good now. He says, no, no, take this and remember me. Remember me. Your life's busy, I know, so just take this and remember me. You've got so much going on, and I understand, so don't forget. Remember me. I know you've fallen short. Remember me. Taking communion doesn't make us Christians. Taking communion reminds us that we are Christians. We receive the broken body of Jesus broken for us. We receive the blood of Jesus poured out for us, the forgiveness of sins, his blood, the new covenant for us. And we take it. And as we take it, we, we search our hearts and we ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and find if there's any unclean way in us so that we can repent and we can remember, no, no, I'm dead to sin. Where, Lord, is there any way that before I take your body, before I partake of your blood and, and consume you, is there anything in me that I should get out before you come in? Is there anything I need to turn away from? Is there anything I've aligned myself with? Is there anything I'm agreeing with? Is there anything I'm submitting to other than you because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you don't share space like that? Come and search me. Remind me of who you are. Remind me of what I've received in you so that I can turn away from everything else that's killing me. We don't want to take of the body and blood of Jesus in an unworthy way, 1 Corinthians tells us. Some flippant way where we don't believe in the power of it. We think we can just partake of it like a pre-church snack or something like that. It's just a snack. No, we are receiving Jesus. It is a ritual as we come together. I am not alone, and I'm not even just bound with Christ. I am bound with you. We are his body, and we receive him. This is why we say a creed or a prayer every Sunday morning at the beginning of our service. If you didn't know we do that, I'd encourage you to be a few minutes earlier to church on Sundays. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I will say this. I had to bring my kids to church a few weeks ago, and I was like, okay, this is harder. I repent. <laughs> I still made it, but 
<laughs> it was hard. I was like, dang. But this is why we do creeds at the beginning of our service. It's a rhythm. It's a ritual. It's a procedure where we remember that this gospel that we are coming under this morning is not something that I made up as the pastor of this church. It's not just up to whatever I think the Bible says. This is something we have received from heaven. We have received Jesus. We have received his word that, that, that the church has been affirming for a long time. We are receiving this gospel. We are receiving this truth. We are receiving this union with each other in the body of Christ as we come under the head together and we are making our confession as a ritual. I confess this is my belief this morning. We need rituals of confession, of repentance in our life. That's why we talk about this all the time. We need procedures where I make a rhythm, of a ritual in my life of confessing sin. Not because I'm trying to chase some perfection, but because God said I'm dead to sin, but I still choose it sometimes, and it still kills me when I choose it. But I have been given the opportunity to confess my sin to one another and so be cleansed by the power of the Holy Spirit. I need that ritual in my life of being set free from the death that I even continue to choose at times. I need rituals of repentance. This is why we have response time every Sunday, why we worship at the end of service. It's not just because our worship band is awesome and they sound great. It is a ritual of repentance. It is a ritual of us receiving the word of God and now saying, it is normal for me to ask you now, Lord, what do I turn away from as I walk out of your house this morning? These are rituals in our lives. And as Jesus has been showing us in the Sermon on the Mount, these are matters of the heart. As you can tell, good religion isn't just about finding new rituals or the right rituals. It's about rightfully engaging with the rituals that God has already given us. We don't wander in our rituals. We wander in our hearts. We don't need to throw out tradition. We need tradition. We don't need to throw out practice. We need practice. We can't minimize structure. We need structure. We can't throw out reverence. We need reverence. We need routine. We don't need new religion. We need to reorient our hearts from engaging in the rituals that God has already given to us as obligations we perform to chase his perfection. We need to remember that these rituals God has given us are rhythms of receiving and remembering his perfection. Secondly, good religion has habits of growing in grace. Bad religion has habits of relying on effort. Good religion has habits of growing in grace. Bad religion is a habit of relying on effort. As we've talked already, healthy people have healthy habits. You know those ads you see? It's like, take these steroids. You'll get fit without working out. You know, you're like, that's a dead giveaway. This is a scam. <laughs> you, we know this. We, if we want to be healthy people, we've got to have healthy habits. Healthy habits of eating, sleeping, healthy relationships, healthy financial habits. Amen. <laughs> Healthy Christians have healthy habits. Christian habits are not about putting in effort to reach God. Christian habits are about growing in the grace of God. Reading your Bible, 
needs to be a habit in your life. It needs to be a religious habit in your life. I know it's like, well, you can't say it's a religious habit. That makes it sound really bad. No, 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 no. You need it to be a religious habit in your life, a habit built on your beliefs and values. It needs to be a habit in your life. You need to have the habit in your life of relying on the word of God. You need to have a a habit of prayer, a religious habit of prayer, prayer where you are relying on the leadership and the power of God in your life. You need to have the habit of going to church. Going to church is a habit of relying on the people of God in your life. Tithing is a habit of relying on God's provision in your life. Serving other people is a habit of relying on the presence of God in your life. None of these are habits that get you somewhere God can't get you by himself. They are habits that you practice in your life that mature you and grow you in the beautiful grace of God. These habits... These good religious habits keep you growing in the grace of God. Here at our church, we have called these habits our five core values. You've been around here, you've heard of these before, but our our first core value is personal devotion. We We want to be a people who have habits of knowing and obeying Jesus. We have a habit, we have a value of making disciples we want to be a people who have a, who have a habit of helping other people follow Jesus. We have a, a core value, a habit of life group. We have habits in our life of, of following Jesus as, as submitted individuals in a community of other Jesus followers. We have a habit of corporate gatherings. So Sundays, worship nights, other things, getting together as the people of God. This is a habit of ours. It's a habit of participating in the local body of Jesus. We have a habit of living on mission, a habit of participating in the purposes of God in our world and the world. These are our religious habits that are not us practicing them to prove to God that we're an awesome church full of really great people. No, we are saved and we want to have habits and rhythms in our life that keep us growing in the things of God. These are things God has given us and he has invited to us. If you want to make, if you want to grow in these things, build habits around them and come grow with me, follow me in my grace. What we don't need is to deconstruct our faith. You you don't need to deconstruct your faith. We've talked some about this, and I'm sure you continue to hear this in your life at times. You don't need to deconstruct your faith. You need to construct your faith. You need to build your faith. Jesus is not deconstructing his church. He's building it. This is why we've talked about this idea as as dangerous is because it goes against the mission of Jesus. We we need to build our faith by deconstructing our habits of self-reliance and self-righteousness and self-centeredness. That's what we need to deconstruct. For example, I don't need to deconstruct personal devotion as a religious habit and throw that out. I need to repent of my idea that personal devotion makes God love me more. And I need to realize that personal devotion is a habit that is helping me grow in the grace of Jesus. That is not deconstructing my faith. That is growing in his grace. I had a friend years ago. He and his wife had 
like miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage, like six or seven in a row. And I remember they'd gotten pregnant and it seemed like this baby was gonna be healthy and then they lost the baby kind of later than they had lost any of the other babies. And it was obviously devastating. And I remember we were in College Station, Texas at church. I remember being at the church one day working and I hear worship music blaring in the sanctuary. It's like a Thursday morning or something. I was like, what is going on? Who's in there? And I start to go in there and I can, they had little windows on the door and it was pitch black. And I was like, what is going on in here? And so I go, I go in and I start to go over to turn the music off. It kind of barely like a shadow. I see him face down laying on the floor in the back of the room this dad and he's just like weeping and worshiping and it was like oh this is a holy moment and I just kind of went over and sat down next to him didn't say anything for a while you just kind of waited for him to sort of get up and he kind of was like oh you're here you know I was like maybe I shouldn't have done that I don't know sorry but and I so we just kind of started talking and you know as best you can in a hard moment you know but after we had talked for a few minutes, I just, I asked him, I was like, why are you, like, why are you here? Why'd you come here this morning? And he just said, he said something along the lines of, well, this has just always been where I come. Like, this is just where I come every day. Meaning I come before the Lord. This is just where I come. And this is where I've come in the past when it's been hard. This is just, this is where I come. And I guess at some point when you walk a trail so many times, it wears a rut in the road. And after a while, it just kind of takes you where you need to go. That's good religion. That's good religious habits. Wearing ruts in the road. Religious habits are not bad. Self-reliant habits are bad. Growing in the grace of God, that's good. Number three, good religion lives in the grace of Christ. Bad religion lives for the approval of man. Good religion lives in the grace of Christ. Bad religion lives for the approval of man. In the New Testament, we see that the early church was under a lot of pressure and influence from both inside and outside of the church to not rely only on the grace of God. I have a friend of mine, he says that um, a pastor's job is to do two things, feed and guard. And you're kind of always working on, okay, is, is, are we feeding, or are we guarding? And I hope that the message up to this point has been feeding you. And I want to close this morning, but I've been feeling for several weeks kind of a, an invitation and a need to do a little bit of guarding. So I want to kind of wrap our message up from that angle this morning. Like I said, in the New Testament, the church was being pressured from both the inside and the outside to not rely only on the grace of Jesus. There were some people, for example, inside the church at Galatia. They wanted people to receive grace through Jesus and Jesus alone, but they also really needed to fulfill some specific religious duties to count as a good Christian. All through history, if we look at the church, the church has faced pressure from the outside as culture has told the church in a myriad of different ways, in a myriad of different times, you can have the grace of Jesus as long as the grace of Jesus means you agree with me. 
or you're about what I'm about. As long as the grace of Jesus means you're with me on social, cultural, or religious issues. Galatians 6, chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, Paul writes this to the church. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who, underline this, called you in the grace of Christ. You're deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are returning to a different gospel. This is strong language. Not that there is one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. That's in the Bible. And like accursed means what you think it means. Not like the church version of accursed, like accursed, accursed. And if you were confused, he goes on. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. For, I, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I just think these verses have so much in it for us. Him who called you in the grace of Christ. And then he says, there are some who trouble you. And I, this makes me think about you. You are, you are facing a lot of trouble. You are facing a lot of pressure from both inside and outside the church these days as a Christian. You're under all kinds of pressure. People, people are putting a lot of demands on you and telling you that if you want your faith to be approved by them, do you think about certain things the way they think about those certain things? Do you say certain things the way they say those certain things? Do you affirm people the, the, way you, the way they want you to affirm them? Do you vote for parties or candidates the way they want you to vote for them? Do you attain to certain percentages of certain types of diversity they think you should attain to? Do you agree that you can't get vaccinated because it's the mark of the beast? Do you agree that you must get vaccinated because then otherwise you don't love your neighbor? You're under so much pressure. You're not a good Christian unless you agree with me on all of these things. All of these contentious cultural issues are putting you under a lot of pressure to be approved by the world around you. And as Christians, honestly, we, there's a lot of times we don't really help ourselves because we start labeling all those things I just said and a bunch of other stuff. We start labeling cultural issues as gospel issues. It doesn't help. The Bible's very clear. <laughs> the gospel, hear me, the gospel is central to every issue, but not every issue is a gospel issue. The gospel is central to every good thing but not every good thing is central to the gospel. There is one cornerstone that unity in the church is to be built on. There is one gospel issue in your life, holiness, perfection. God's approval of you hinges on one question. Are you holy? 
Are you holy? See, God isn't holy because he's better than every other God or every other thing. He is holy because he is separate from every other thing. And when God calls us to be holy, when he's calling us to be perfect, he isn't calling us to behave better than everyone else. He is calling us to be separate from everything else and everyone else. He's calling us to be holy. Your skin color or ethnicity have nothing to do with whether you are holy or not. The way you vote has nothing to do with if you are holy or not. You being vaccinated has nothing to do with whether you are holy or not. The size of our church, the ethnic diversity of our church, the music style of our church, the ministries we give to as a church, the preaching quality of our church has nothing to do with whether we are holy or not. Do you have sin or are you washed white as snow? Are you dead in your trespasses or have you been born again? Are you living in unbelief or are you alive by faith in Jesus Christ? Are you a son of disobedience or a child of God? Are you a prodigal or have you been adopted? Have you been cut off from the vine or have you been grafted in and you are abiding? Do you have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees? Are you perfect as your heavenly father is perfect? Are you holy? Jesus preaches the Sermon on the Mount to remind us of the reality that what God requires is that we are holy. We must be perfect. We must be righteous. And our laws, our agendas, our opinions, our records, and our efforts will never get us there. And neither will our bad religion because the problem is in our hearts. Salvation is not found in religiously behaving better. Salvation is found and repenting of your sin and being made holy by the grace of Christ. And good religion is a lifestyle of growing in that beautiful grace. I want you to stand as we close this morning. I wanna pray for you and pray for us. And I wanna encourage us to finish our time together Unifying. Unifying is the church. Jesus prayed that we would be unified, but he didn't pray that we'd be unified by agreeing on cultural issues. He said, Father, would you give them your name? He says, give them your name, Holy Father, that they may be one as you and I are one. The unity God has called us to is being unified in our understanding that we are desperate for the grace of God. Desperate to receive grace through Jesus Christ, to be made new and to follow him. Unity is found not by looking at each other, but by looking to him first. And anything that we reconcile with another will only come second to that. I wanna pray for us that we would be unified this morning, confessing 
our need for the grace of Jesus, our need to grow in the grace of Jesus, our need to live in the grace of Jesus as we go into this week. If you need prayer for anything specific, our prayer team's gonna come up and be available. If you need healing for anything in your body or mind, specifically our healing team will be over here. But I wanna end with this great ritual of remembering and receiving the grace of God. Lord, we love you. And we receive you this morning in church. We come together unified under your name saying thank you. Teach us who you are. Teach us who we are in you. Teach us to love you and love one another. Teach us to grow in your beautiful grace. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.